Ohio Habla es un podcast que nace del proyecto Narrativas Orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio. Exploramos la experiencia latina con entrevistas en español, inglés y spanglish. Welcome to Ohio Habla. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Tracy Najera, Executive Director of the Children's Defense Fund here in Ohio. Tracy is a three-time graduate of The Ohio State University. She has 20 years of experience working to improve policies and structures that support educational opportunities and equity for all children. Tracy was born in San Antonio, Texas, and raised near Dayton, Ohio. And she joins us today to talk about her journey and work with the Children's Defense Fund of Ohio. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. How was your experience of growing up as Latina in Ohio? Um, well, I moved to Ohio when I was about five and a half years old. And, um, you know, living in Texas, Texas is a huge state. And not only that, but I grew up in San Antonio, surrounded by family and, you know, all the time. So it was quite a culture shock leaving the state, which you can drive for a full day and never leave its borders, <laughs> um, and moving to Ohio where you have snow, where you have <laughs> winter, mild summers, um, and really not the sounds and, you know, of Spanish or the music or, you know, the food readily available everywhere um, and people that don't look like you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, quite, quite a difference. And, um, you know, the small town, though, that I grew up in, there were a lot of very positive aspects of, you know, small town life and, you know, having that idyllic childhood where you could ride your bike freely and, Um, not be worried about leaving your doors unlocked and going to the pool with your friends all the time um, or just out to play. So today, you know, we're so um, technology driven. Back then, I think the technology was, does anyone have a watch? <laughs> you know, or, you know, d can I use someone's payphone or, you know, stuff like that. It was just a very different time. And, um, you know, and I would say that it was a childhood of a lot of different um of contrasts, mm -hmm. um, you know, cultural contrasts, um, you know, linguistic, um, just so many things that I think me personally that I had to navigate through mm -hmm. and, you know, try to translate in my own way. Um, but at the same time, my experiences as growing up a Latina in Ohio at a time when I, I, I don't feel in that part of the state there were very many, mm -hmm. at least visibly, Um, other than my family, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it also made me very appreciative of my culture and who I am. And you know, I think it made me also more confident in my voice of who I am, mm -hmm. because you have to be. Right. Um, you have to own your identity and, you know, not let anyone else define it for you. Right. How was your educational experience? What impact did it have in the work you do to support children now? Um, I would think everything or I think everything that I've done or experienced educationally really has informed mm -hmm. uh, my path professionally. You know, everything from early experiences with, um, you know, I wouldn't say early experiences with, you know, being thought of as less of a learner than what I was. 
Um, maybe it's my physical appearance or my, you know, background, um, you know, clouding someone's judgments about my own um, abilities and then, you know, being made aware of that, right. you know, at an early age. I think that, you know, that type of, um, you know, prejudice and, you know, being <laughs> the subject of it, you know, has, uh, I think, given me um, a perspective mm -hmm. in terms of I don't want any other child to ever experience that or I don't want any child to have their future trajectory um, or their future success influenced by an experience like that. Mm -hmm. um, because you think about what, what impacts a child or what impacts a young adult. You know, it's the people around them and it's the messages they're receiving from the environment around them, be it from a teacher or, you know, someone in a position of authority or a parent or another adult, you know, who they think cares for them or has their best interests, you know, um, or looking out for their best interests. And then being, you know, being um, the subject of messages that aren't positive mm -hmm. or that make someone think, gosh, I thought I was able to do anything. I guess not. You know, and the power of words and perceptions, I think um, people don't realize that. And um, I think it it's in all our interests to make sure that, um, you know, we we are equipping kids to thrive in their lives. Mm -hmm. You know, that they're not being hamstringed by, you know, others' perception of what they can and can't do, which might be, you know, driven by their own prejudices or, you know, um, thoughts about, you know, this is what a Latina can do or can't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that those experiences, you know, just it's informed so much of, of the work that I do. I, I, I constantly try to prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, or, <laughs> you know, just try to do more than I think I'm capable of, right. um, because you never know who's also watching and observing and learning, mm -hmm. you know, from that mm -hmm. um, and not taking no for an answer in any, you know, in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, putting the effort into it, you know, and working your butt off every day, mm -hmm. you know, to make you know, your, your dreams reality, um, or just, you know, getting that A <laughs> in that class, you know, right. whatever the, the case might be. Right. Um, right. So I think I almost already know the answer to this next question. Uh, but I want, I want to hear it from you. You were featured on the 40 under 40 for education a couple years ago, and the word you chose to describe yourself was driven. Um, can you tell us more about how this has defined your path? Sure. So um, ever since I was little, I think I've I've always been a pretty ambitious person. Um, you know, I just have this drive to achieve, to do more, um, to make a difference. And I don't know where that comes from necessarily, um, other than I know that it's almost like uh, <laughs> I'm compelled to do this. And um, and I think maybe part of it is I have a, a strong sense of justice and a strong sense of right and wrong. And I think that's the source of a lot of my motivation to do things um, and to try to do them as well as possible. Um, 
So when I was working at one point um, for the state's Office of Budget Management and working in school funding, um, at the end of that process um, of, you know, help being part of a team to develop the state's new funding formula, um, you know, I did a lot of reflection and, you know, I, I had to be very honest with myself in knowing that there's a lot I don't know about education. There's a lot I don't know about education policy or the philosophy of education. And these are things that I need to correct or at least make an effort, you know, mm-hmm. if I want to continue in this role. Now, most people would say, oh, you're good. <laughs> you know, you, you can continue doing what you're doing. You don't need to learn or you don't need a, another degree or to learn that much more. You're good. Um, but I'm not the kind of person that thinks that way. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, you know, the logical thing for me to do was to pursue a doctorate, (laughs) though I I don't think that was necessarily um, probably the most rational thing, you know, given, you know, I was married, working full time, we had two children. Um, But, you know, I I felt like that was what I had to do. Um, Again, driven, compelled, Mm -hmm. you know, I had this motivation to do something and, and to be better because... You know, I always think about at the end of the day, someone is impacted by the decisions that are being made by others. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure they have the right information, you know, to be making those decisions mm-hmm. and to make the best decisions possible. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's kind of the source of that and why I think, you know, driven, <laughs> it, you know, rightly or wrongly, it's the right, I think, the right word for me, at least the right word that I think of when I think of, you know, my own path. Right, right. Um, tell us about your work with the Children's Defense Fund of Ohio. So I am incredibly proud to be working for Children's Defense Fund. Um, it was truly an organization that was born out of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. and established by Marion Wright Edelman. And, um, you know, she had this vision that all children, you know, all children deserve to live, grow thrive into adulthood, you know, being surrounded by caring adults, you know, uh, with access to health care, education, and the right early start in life. Um, All those things that so many, you know, people take for granted, but are still out of reach for so many children and their families in this country, unfortunately. Um, The Ohio office was um, established in the 1980s. And Again, it was an opportunity for them, for CDF, Children's Defense Fund National, to take their vision to a state and, you know, to bring it down to scale Mm -hmm. and to really make a difference within the boundaries of that state and whatever enabling policies and structures were in place. Um, So the organization itself is focused on early care and education, on education, on um, health, access to health on juvenile justice. Um, Currently, we have um, a a very um, important project that we're working on a campaign around the 2020 census. Um, I think that, and if you don't mind, I want to talk just a little bit about that for a moment. Because again, it's getting to the point of, you know, CDF stands for those children that are most vulnerable, children of color, those with disabilities, those that are, you know, impoverished, to try to give them a voice, Mm -hmm. right? And when you think about projects and policies that do that, you know, the census is one of those. And it's, you know, it's not the sexiest of topic, 
I know that. <laughs> People think census. What? Well, uh, it's every 10 years. And I think what people fail to realize is just how important it is in terms of those programs that support families and children that are most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It brings, you know, all types of things to our communities. You know, when you think of access to children's health insurance or Head Start, um, you know, preschool, Title I in education, all those different programs, you know, are, are driven by the numbers from the census. So the disturbing thing right now is that um, children ages five and under are typically the highest um, or drive the undercount within most states. And then when you think about things like, um, you know, the heated rhetoric right now around immigration, Mm -hmm. um, when you think about, you know, uh, the citizenship questions that are or, you know, Mm -hmm. that are proposed for the upcoming census, you know, it, it could spell disaster. You know, for many of our immigrant communities and also when you think about the overall census and how it's not being necessarily um, – it, it's off to a slow start basically. You know, there is um, a risk for undercount in some of our hard-to-count communities. Right. They're afraid of being counted. They're afraid. Right. Not mm-hmm. only that, but they're also not in a position to have that outreach that they need to within like your urban centers where you have high density rental units um, or, you know, where let's face it, you know, I'm a parent. I mean, if it's, it's, it's really difficult for us to get, you know, to pay attention to certain things that don't necessarily matter to us right now. Right. You know, we're all very hurried and, you know, there's a lot of competing priorities Mm -hmm. on our plate. Um, so I can just imagine what it would be like for, you know, another parent mm-hmm. and whether or not, you know, this is a priority for them, mm-hmm. you know, to to make sure that they're counted. But um, that's a project that we're working on right now in Ohio in collaboration with other nonprofits and um, philanthropic organizations mm-hmm. to make sure that all children are counted. Um, you know, uh, our urban centers and our um, Appalachian region you know, those areas are most at risk for not being, you know, not having the counts mm-hmm. or not having everyone counted. Um, so we want to see what we can do to support um, participation rates and making sure that direct service providers are, you know, equipped with the right messages to make sure that people understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the organization works with with all children in, you know, children at risk. Uh, but are there particular risks that our Latino children face? Um, how is your organization addressing this? Right. So uh, I, I'd say that there's um, many different policy issues that affect Latino children in particular. Um, so for example, Children's Defense Fund were um, the Kids Count grantee for the NE Casey Foundation. Um, there's one in every state of Ohio, and every year we issue um, a, a profile in child well-being. So one of the things that I was looking at is, you know, they they have the data disaggregated, mm-hmm. you know, by race and ethnicity, and I always try to find, okay, what are what is the one thing that we're doing really well in, you know, mm-hmm. as Latinos, mm-hmm. and what is the one area of significant challenge, you know, that we have, and you know, one thing that we're doing extremely well in is that um, many Latino children are being um, are in households where the head of household has a high school diploma. Mm-hmm. 
we're doing much better than others, right. which I think is just amazing. I think that says a lot about, you know, the value that we place on education and our, you know, our progress in making sure that our children are graduating and preparing for the next phase in their life, whether it be the military, workforce, or higher education. So that that's great. So what are areas that we're not doing so well in? You know, we have a high rate of teenage pregnancy mm. within our community. And, you know, I think that we need to dig in a little deeper to understand why that is or what's driving that and why so many, you know, of our, our young women, you know, who are on the cusp of adulthood, mm-hmm. you know, um, if they're choosing to be mothers, which is wonderful, that's a wonderful thing. Um, or if this is something that perhaps, you know, was not necessarily, you know, uh, a deliberate choice, mm-hmm. you know, and um, making sure that all our children have a very strong sense of future as they're growing up and thinking about, you know, decisions that could affect your life mm-hmm. and your trajectory of your life. Right. How is it working with Latino families different or similar than working with other populations? I mean, you just um, mm-hmm. mentioned sort of some of the things that we're doing well and maybe some that we need to improve. Uh but when you're working directly with the families, how is it different or how, what are some of the challenges maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, CDF Ohio, we're um, a research policy and advocacy organization, so we're not necessarily involved in direct service. However, what I can say is that, you know, just in my own experience and working in the Latino community, you know, we do have a very strong sense of family. And, you know, I think that when you um, consider who are credible messengers within our community to, you know, talk about high school graduation mm-hmm. or to talk about, you know, teenage pregnancies or, you know, those other issues. You know, typically we we think about, you know, our, our parents. We think about our extended family. Um, we think about our, our faith leaders, you know, and I think that maybe more so in our community, those are the people that we listen to. And also that sense of um, that sense of um, familia, you know, that we're all together and we need to take care of each other. You know, I think that that's also um, I don't want to say necessarily unique, but it's I think uh, it's very particular to Latinos, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, I think also working with Latinos um we also have to be very cognizant of cultural differences. Though we're under one label of Latino, there's so much diversity within that. Absolutely. And um, I think that, you know, <laughs> knowing your audience is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, don't assume that everyone in the room is Puerto Rican mm-hmm. or everyone in the room is Mexican. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a very, you know, I think um, diverse community that you know, uh, we share, I think, strong faith, we share strong emphasis on family. And uh, in many cases, we share, you know, that tie of, um, of language. Mm-hmm. Great. Reflecting on your own career and education um, at The Ohio State University, um, how do you see the work you and your team do at CDF impact the path towards higher education for youth in our state? And um, so I'm reaching a little, Mm -hmm. you know, further, not just um, can we can they graduate from high school, but how how is it that we're pushing them to go 
to the university or military, like you mentioned, or other paths after high school. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, as as an advocate, one thing that I try to emphasize to people is, you know, it's wonderful if we're advocating for early childhood or we're you're advocating for all children to be able to read at, you know, the third grade reading level. Um, but we also have to remember that we need a continuum of structures and supports and policies, you know, programs that support children throughout their development because three-year-olds become four-year-olds, four-year-olds become five-year-olds. You know, they just don't stop, mm-hmm. right? They grow. And our ultimate goal is that all children have that opportunity to thrive into adulthood, successful adulthood, whatever that might be, exactly military, mm-hmm. workforce, um, higher education. Um, so I it just because of my background mm-hmm. um, and working a lot in education and when I worked for Battelle for Kids, um, working in Ohio's Appalachian region. It was a basically a college and career readiness project. Mm-hmm. Um, I have um, a, a very soft and big place in my heart around um, college readiness and making sure that our kids are prepared to make that choice. You know, and when they're ready, that they're you know they have the foundation to do it successfully. So at Children's Defense Fund. We actually have a project called Beat the Odds. It's a program that we um, that we do on an annual basis. We and it's a it's a really an opportunity for us to connect our policy and advocacy work with real individuals and acknowledging that you know their experiences and the programs that have supported them as they were growing up are those that we're advocating for to get them to this point. But at the same time, you know, children grow up facing a lot of adversity in their lives. Um, Many children face homelessness, poverty, housing instability, you know, different levels of economic instability within their family. Um, You know, I think the opioid crisis has even worsened it. Um, So what we do with Beat the Odds is we recognize a group of five college-bound high school students, and they're nominated by their high school counselors or other adults within their community and these these young adults have faced um, unimaginable challenges, and it's an opportunity for them to tell their story, and um, also to share it with other you know other um, young adults who are who are facing something similar. Mm-hmm. So what we do is we provide them with a small scholarship, and we almost call it a seed scholarship because or seed funding mm-hmm. because it attracts other funding, mm-hmm. you know, and it. It compounds over time, which is really nice. Um, so we we recognize them. We give them a small scholarship. They get a laptop. And many times they get a mentor, mm-hmm. you know, and it could be, you know, anyone who's associated with our program, really, who wants to just, you know, reach out and say, hey, when you get to college, be sure to call me or email me. Let me know how you're doing. Right. So um, we've had five years of Beat the Odd Scholars. And our first cohort has actually graduated mm-hmm. from college. And we're doing a legacy event on September 14th where we're bringing them all back. Because we've had so many questions about our, our scholars like, oh, what has happened to so-and-so? Or, you know, did they ever reach their goal? And I'm so proud of these um, young adults because, you know, one of them is in a doctoral program. Another one's thriving in their career. 
We had one recently who was featured in um, Ohio State's College of Education's in, um, uh, alumni magazine, the Inspire series. And we have another one who locally is doing a one-woman show, you know, at the Lincoln Theater and at the Columbus Museum of Art featuring her poetry. So, I mean, these are just incredible young people. And, you know, uh, I think that they are changing the world in so many ways today. And we need more of these students, you know, more of these young adults to be, um, you know, thriving and achieving you know, in this way, because, you know, it's one thing to get to college, but it's a whole different animal to get through it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think um, that's something that we've also learned from this experience as well from Beat the Odds. You know, just because you get there doesn't necessarily mean that you feel like you belong or that you feel socially you can navigate it or as you're getting ready to graduate, right, that you're you're in a position to start tapping a professional network mm -hmm. to find your first job. Mm -hmm. So I think that we need to do more of that. And institutions like Ohio State, I think they're doing, you know, they're, they have positive steps forward. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, there's a lot more we can do too. Mm -hmm. um, so about, I want to say, a year and a half ago, I was recognized for a Distinguished Latinx Award here at Ohio State. And, you know, one of the things that I, I spoke to some people about was, you know, the fact that the percentage of Latino students on campus has not changed significantly in the last 25 years. And the university's current strategic plan, you know, I think it needs to go a little bit further and directly calling out, you know, increases in Latino, Latino enrollments mm -hmm. and not just international students you know, but, you know, domestic students as well. Um, and not just on our branch campuses, but the main campuses as well. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that with the Department of Higher Ed's focus on, you know, college completion and um, really uh, looking at those success measures um, and looking at, them, looking at them by race, ethnicity, and income, I think that'll go a long way as well as putting the pressure on in terms of let's make sure that our kids are getting through, not just getting here. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the Beat the Odds uh, program mm -hmm. or initiative at CDF. Um, is there any other um, program that we that you would like to highlight about your organization? Um, I, I think that um, other than the Beat the Odds program, a lot of the work that we do is the research work mm -hmm. and policy and advocacy. And I think that the work that we've been doing over the last 20 years with the Annie e. Casey Foundation around Kids Counts, providing consistent, accurate um, data around child well-being in areas of health, education, economic well-being, and um, families and communities, it's such a treasure trove of data. And I think that, you know, well, I know that one of the things we're trying to do is really make sure that people are using this information mm -hmm. because it's a great benchmark for our communities. So we do this um, at the state level, and we also do it county by county. And, you know, uh, using this, you know, can inform not only direct services, but the performance of programs and policies that have been put in place um, and also help us in, in terms of, okay, what, what else is needed here? You know, um, what other programs are we missing, you know, the mark on? 
So that is another important project, you know, an ongoing long-term program Mm -hmm. um, that we're really proud of and that we're trying to make sure that more organizations are taking advantage of it. So we have um, the Kids Count Data Center on our website. It's cdfohio.org. And I encourage more organizations, um, policymakers and others to use that data. Mm-hmm. Great. Is there anything else uh, you would like to um, our audience to know about you or the the work um, that CDF is is doing? Are you participating on the big table conversation? Yes, we yes. are. <laughs> Thank you. Nice segue. Um, so yes, on August 29th, uh, we are sponsoring and co-hosting a big table conversation with the Ohio Commission for Hispanic Latino Affairs and Ohio State University's Office of Diversity and Inclusion. And the focus of our conversation is going to be on the 2020 census Mm -hmm. and also uh, having a conversation about, you know, getting more Latinos and underrepresented um, populations, you know, involved and participating and, you know, building awareness for them on the census. Um, you know, just given the current political atmosphere and the rhetoric and, you know, it's very heated. Um, we want to figure out and as a community, you know, come together to think about what are ways that we can make sure that we are represented, you know, that we are not missed. Because if we're missed, you know, that's a lost opportunity for all our communities in terms of programs and services, mm-hmm. you know, that really affect our families and our their children. Um so uh, that's one that's that's an upcoming event that we're really excited about. And um, I think we're also we're also really excited about the fact that we're co-hosting with um, Ochla and with um, ODI here mm-hmm. at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. You know, another undercounted um, population that we want to pay attention to is college students, mm-hmm. because, you know, if you're at college and you're an independent student, are you? aware of the census? Are you participating in the census? Or do you think your parents are still are still counting you as part of their household? So these are, you know, other questions that we want to dig into as well, just to make sure that everyone counts in this. Great. Uh, well, uh, Tracy, thank you so much for visiting the studio today and for the work you do uh, with, with um, our community. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima.